Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, it is in the New Testament, so it's in the latter half of the, uh, uh, the Bible. It's right after Matthew, so it's the second book of the New Testament. And our passage will be Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And as is, as is our custom, we read publicly the scripture together and then we'll uh, reflect on what the scripture is teaching us. And so if you'll follow along as I read Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. In verse 1, and it says, again, he, and I should point out that this is uh, in reference to Jesus here. And he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And, his, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Those, but those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you um, for Jesus and his teaching here. And God, we, um, we ask and pray um, for 
uh, your spirit to uh, do the spirit's work, his work to illuminate our hearts and our minds and to help us to understand. And so, God, we ask that you would teach us a lesson from uh, the word that we have read this morning. And may it be uh, powerful, uh, penetrating into the very depths of who we are and changing us and forming us into the image of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Jesus' ministry is really underway. We've been in Mark's gospel here for several weeks, and we've kind of seen the launch of Jesus' ministry. He's been going about preaching, and he's been teaching. He's uh, done some healings, casting out uh, demons and, and uh, people who've had been possessed with demons. We've seen some of the major reactions to Jesus from the various groups. And I could, if we were to look at the, the groups of people that we've seen so far in Mark's gospel who have encountered Jesus, we could kind of put them into three groups. One would be the religious leaders who were looking at Jesus with a great deal of suspicion. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, as they're hearing reports about Jesus and the fame that about his work that's being spread around, they go to kind of hear what he is saying and doing, and they seem, uh, he seems to them to be a, a heretic and a threat. Another group are the crowds, the large crowds of people who are gathering around uh, Jesus from all of the various countries uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of miles away, are coming to, uh, to, to Jesus, but they're coming uh, for what Jesus can do for them. And a third group would be the disciples, those who Jesus calls to himself, who are called to follow and to, to learn. Jesus' ministry is underway, and we've seen this in the first three chapters. And now in chapter 4, we get to his teaching. Mark had mentioned that Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God and preaching about the kingdom of God. John the Baptist had been preaching the kingdom of God in the first chapter and calling people to respond to it. And then after John was arrested, Mark mentions that Jesus had done the same thing. Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The good news that the king has arrived. And that Jesus is that promised king from the Old Testament who was going to come. This is a great announcement. He was going to vanquish all of the enemies of God and that he was going to redeem and bring God's people into a kingdom. The only problem is, is that the kingdom as, as it has come in Jesus isn't quite what the people expected. And so Jesus now is teaching them a little bit about what that kingdom is like. Mark had mentioned that Jesus had taught. He didn't mention what Jesus was teaching. And now we get to that here in chapter 4. And so here's the thing that we need to understand about what Jesus is teaching here in chapter 4. This message that Jesus is going around and saying, not everyone responds to that message the same way. And when it comes to the message, the response is crucial. How you respond to the teaching about the kingdom determines your entrance into 
that kingdom. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. So Jesus is, he's teaching here in, in a way that helps to get people to really ponder this message. He teaches in a way that wants to get to the very heart of the hearer. And to do this, he uses these things called parables. We saw this in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. What's a parable? Well, the the Greek word for for parable, it's kind of a compound word. And it means to, um, from the verb meaning to throw alongside. So it's kind of like a story that's thrown alongside that helps to kind of illustrate the truth. So a parable is, you know, it's a, often a story. It could be, takes many different forms. Sometimes it could be stories. Sometimes they're kind of little proverbial statements. Sometimes they're similes or metaphors or riddles or comparisons or allegories. But they're vivid, memorable little stories that communicate a great truth. They're profound lessons um, that are meant to impress upon and cause the mind of the hearer to, to dwell upon and to think about. What is the purpose behind Jesus using these parables? That's what I would like to get to to start here before we look at the parables proper. What is the purpose behind Jesus doing this? Uh, here we have a, an example of what Mark often does. He kind of uh, sandwiches a couple of stories, one story in between two very similar kinds of stories. And here is an example of that. Here at the beginning of uh, this chapter, we have the parable itself. And then as we saw in verses 14 through 20, we have Jesus kind of retelling and explaining that parable. And in the middle, he gives uh, the purpose for why he uses parables. Notice what it says in verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, meaning this, the 12 and the, this, the group that was connected to that, to you, the disciples has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And then Jesus says these very interesting words in verse 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, what's what's Jesus saying here? He's not saying that here that he doesn't want people to know uh, about the kingdom. What he's saying is, is I'm talking in these parables because what these parables do is not only illustrate uh uh, illustrate the kingdom for us, it also conceals it in a way from those whose hearts reject it. It's that some people, because of their hardness of heart, um, because of their rejection of God, because they don't want to follow God and they want to follow their own selfish desires, they just simply don't want to know. But what Jesus does in these parables is that those who do want to know understand and those who whose hearts are hardened um, continue to remain kind of clouded in, in the mystery behind that. So what Jesus is saying here, the reason that he's teaching in parables is kind of twofold, that the lessons will come to light and that insight will be given to those who hear, who have ears to hear. 
But these lessons also, by nature, reveal the hardness of the hearts of those who reject it. D.A. Carson says this about the, the parables. Parables serve two purposes. They reveal the truth of the mystery of the kingdom. And in doing so, they reveal the hearts of the hearers, resulting in life for some and judgment for others. It's often thought Jesus told in these stories because they were illustrations. They were attempts to, to how uh, these are often used as an example of how to be a really great communicator. But what Jesus says in, in this passage to these to this group of disciples is it, it, it does help illuminate truth. And it actually kind of hardens the hearts of those who are hardened against him. And this is why Jesus quotes from Isaiah. I just read verse 12. So that they may indeed see but not perceive and may hear and not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus here is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And those who know the story about Isaiah, Isaiah gets a vision of the holiness of God as he is in the temple. And God uh, speaks to Isaiah and kind of commissions him in ministry. And then immediately following on that, you have uh, the words uh, that Jesus quotes here. Isaiah chapter 6, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah, uh, Here I am, send me. And he said, Okay, go and say to this people, and then here are the words, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with the ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So Jesus is kind of likening um, his parable ministry to the ministry of Isaiah, who had to teach to a blind and deaf nation who were wrapped up in idolatry and rejection of the one true God. And he had to tell them that that judgment was coming and they didn't listen. Isaiah gained a few disciples, but the vast majority of the people who listened in Isaiah's day, in particular, the leadership in Jerusalem, just rejected Isaiah's message. Similarly, and this is why I think Jesus uses this, this passage here to explain why he's using these parables. Similarly, Jesus is facing a stubborn rejection of God's salvation from among the people in that day. In particular, the religious leaders. But the same warning uh, that Isaiah had given, Jesus also gives. There's, this, there's a warning to those who fail to hear and to respond. To those who do respond, the secret of the kingdom is theirs. So that's the purpose of parables. And so uh, Mark begins his first parable with what we call kind of like the parable of parables. It's the parable that Jesus says, Uh, kind of unlocks all of the parables notice in verse 13 and he said to them do you do you guys not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables you got to kind of understand this parable to understand all of the parables and it's that makes sense because it's a parable about how parables work and so today we're going to look at these two parables and if these parables do indeed do what jesus and isaiah say that they do that they both reveal and conceal, they reveal the hearts of the hearers, then everything depends on how one hears. Notice the emphasis on hearing. Verse 3, 
Jesus begins with, listen. Verse 9, he ends the parable proper with, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He repeats that again in verse 23. And later in this chapter, he says in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. So then let's hear this parable. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain. Growing up. And increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Here would be kind of a a picture of the format of this, this parable. The sower, the seed, and the soils. And the four different kinds of soil. The hard path, the stony ground, the thorns that grow up in the soil, and the good soil. All four receive the seed in some way. Only one bears fruit. One ancient commentator said about parables uh, that parables need application, not explanation. Uh, I think that that's true. So I'm not going to explain this passage. I think it's true with one notable exception. Jesus gives an explanation, privately to his disciples. And here Jesus lays out for us and explains for us exactly what this parable means. He explains um, why he uses parables privately to his disciples, but we can learn from it too. This is what he says. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. Believe in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, that word uh, they use the, the message of the kingdom or the word of the kingdom. And here it's also connected several places in Mark's gospel already with this gospel, this announcement of the kingdom. The sower then is the one who goes out and is sowing the word. And these are the ones who are, uh, all, are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear the word, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the hard path soil are those whose the word lands and Satan takes away. Here's the second soil, verse 16. And these are the ones on rocky ground. The ones who, uh, when they hear the word, again, notice how they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the rocky ground. Here's the third ground. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. Notice again, hear the word. 
But the cares of this world and the, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So we could put it this way. Jesus is the sower and the farmer. The seed that is being sown is the word of God, the message of the kingdom. And the soils represents the hearts of the hearers. The hard path is the ones disinterested, reject the message almost immediately. It's taken away from them. The stony ground is the shallow or superficial ground. In Israel, it would have been hard. What Jesus would have been describing would be like hard limestone ground that lays, you know, very um, underneath a shallow amount of soil that would prevent the water from kind of draining when they would get the seasonal rains, would keep the water from draining all the way through into the soil. And so um, had plenty of moisture until the sun came and scorched and dried up that shallow bit of soil. Those are kind of the shallow and superficial approach or response to the word. Then the thorny, the, the, the thorny ground kind of represents the short-sighted ones. The ones who rejoice in the message of the kingdom, but then when hardship or difficulties or trials or tribulations, things that come with and correspond with that kingdom, make that um, make them go, ooh, that's a, that's a little more than I wanted. It's the last group that's the good soil. People whose hearts hear and receive that message. So I have a couple lessons for us to kind of ponder and think about in light of this passage. The first, first one is this. Commitment in discipleship uh, is not optional. Commitment in discipleship is, is not optional. I think you could see the crowds that are following Jesus kind of represent the two middle soils. Maybe the first soil kind of represents the religious leaders of Jesus' day who just refuse and reject it right out of hand. But I think the great deal of the, the three groups that are following Jesus, I think the crowds kind of uh, seem to fit in one of the two middle kinds of soils. And that they have kind of a superficial response, reception to Jesus and to his message. They follow for a little while, but it becomes clear as we go throughout Mark's gospel and all of the gospels that many, many of them remain unbelievers. I think we see this often in churches today. Many Christians whose commitment to Jesus and to his church is maybe shallow. Or superficial. So Jesus' message here is for us to, to check our hearts and recognize that discipleship to Christ uh, re requires commitment, faithfulness to follow. So commitment uh, to Christ in discipleship is not uh, optional. Second lesson is there's uh, worldliness is dangerous. 
This in particular is the third soil. And I think the third soil can, can be seen and evidenced in every single human heart. The nature of, of every human heart. Um, no human heart is exempt from this. But I think it's one that's also particularly prevalent today. And that is of uh, worldliness. Again, let's remind ourselves what Jesus says in the third one. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. And that's not to say uh, that we don't own things and can't have things or use things or even enjoy things. Scriptures make it clear that many of the great gifts that we have in this world are meant for our enjoyment and to be received with glad hearts and to be received with thanks and praise to God who is the giver of every good gift. But the danger is when those things kind of creep into our lives and dethrone Jesus and his kingdom from our hearts. That's, that's what's dangerous. The weeds that come and choke out the message of the kingdom in us. So worldliness is dangerous. And the third one, being productive for God requires accepting and receiving his grace. Notice that they all hear the, the word, but it's the good soil that accepts and receives. And I would say believes the word and it's those that produce. The good soil, then, is description of a of the transformation of a person who has who has encountered this message of the kingdom. This this soil represents um, the it demonstrates for us the outworking of the receiving of that message and that it leads to a productive, fruitful life. John's um, John in his first epistle, his first letter, says this. He makes this kind of connection between the change that is wrought in our lives and it's being connected to this seed that is planted in us. I think he's building off this. He says, no one born of God, no one who is, uh, who is a Christian, who's placed their faith in Christ, no one born of God makes a practice of, of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. Drawing on this seed of the word imagery. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I think Paul kind of talks about the change and the fruitfulness that comes uh, in a believer's life. Using the same kind of illustration that Jesus does here. About fruitfulness. 30, 60, 100 fold. When he writes in Galatians. He says... These words is kind of a warning. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warned you, as, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he goes on to say, to contrast with all of that, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And notice he describes this as the fruit, the production, what's yielded. And this is those who have the spirit within us. The, when we receive the message of the good news of the gospel, God implants uh, in us his seed and he gives us his spirit. And that spirit produces the fruit of those things. And so this crop is pro- is, that's produced is evidence of the, uh, the outward evidence of the life of a reality of the inward transformation that takes place in a person's life when they ex- accept and believe the gospel of Christ. I think those are three lessons for us this morning. Commitment to Christ in discipleship is not uh, optional. Worldliness is dangerous. But being productive for God requires accepting his grace. The message of his good news. And this is the question, I think, that challenges all of us this morning. This is the question that the first people who heard this parable, as Jesus was in the boat proclaiming to the crowds this story, the question that they had to wrestle with, and the question that everyone throughout Uh, history who's heard this story has to wrestle with and the question that all of us has to wrestle with today is quite simply this which soil are you when you hear the message of the gospel it's a disinterest skepticism cynicism When you hear the message of the gospel, do you rejoice? But have you drifted away? When you hear the message of the gospel, did you receive it and delight in it only to have the cares of this world kind of creep in and shove it out? Or are you like the last soil? And you hear the message of the gospel if you received it and believed it. And is it producing fruit in your life? Which soil are you? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, indeed, we want to um, again express our gratitude. That you're a God who speaks to us. We thank you that we have in our hands and, and laps the written record of your speech to us. We're grateful how it culminates in the life of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for this message that, that he taught as he's looking around the crowds filled with Crowds of people who are seeking to get something from um, 
some kind of earthly blessing from Jesus with no commitment. Or the religious leaders that meet him with skepticism or cynicism. We thank you that you have written these words down and have illustrated for us. That you speak to us and that it teaches us today. God, and I would ask, as we sang earlier, that you would plant your word in everyone here's hearts. And that every person here has a heart that is good soil. That will receive and delight in this message, your good news. Because we know that how one hears the message of the kingdom determines how, um, determines one's entrance into that kingdom. So God, we would ask that you would do as you've promised That your word would go out and it would not return void. That it would do its work in the lives of us here today. We pray all of this in the mighty name of your son Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Uh, Would you stand for our closing benediction? And as a reminder... um, The offering box is uh, in the gray box on the information table. And if anyone has any uh, questions or any issues of of prayer and would like, um, you know, for uh, prayer for uh, any issue or anything you got in your life, anything you would like to share with a pastor, would uh, love to meet you uh, up here in front uh, let you know that that's available to you. Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.